Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. The pathos of our lives is comically, tragically illustrated in Rachel Matthews' novel, Never Look Desperate. So, Rachel, welcome to 3CR. Thank you so much, David. It's lovely to be here. Now, Never Look Desperate, what on earth could this <laughs> novel be about? Desperate for what, Rachel? <laughs> oh, well, I guess it's a it's an ironic title because it's really about, um, you know, all of us just, you know, trying to live our authentic lives rather than, um, you know, how we are told we should be or should live or should love. Or what the expectations are and what we read into it. And you explore this in great detail. And I think we can start with the three main characters. They are all intriguing in their own way. And I'm just wondering, is it love they're looking for or is it this sort of emotional intimacy or connection? What is it that they're after? I think it's a bit of both. I think, like all of us, we want to be understood and we we want that human connection, um, whatever that means for an individual. And I'm interested in love in a universal sense as well that, that sort of, you know, moves beyond the romantic as well. Well, it's, it, it is that being understood, knowing that you're going to be appreciated for yes. what you do, that you've got direction and hope and a way of moving forward. So Mm. let's start to explore the three main characters, although there are others. Poor Bernard. He's 49 years old. He sometimes wears undies covered in pineapples. (laughs) He earned enough to buy a trumpet and Greek yoghurt, but that's with a credit card. So he's a, um, a curious character, a little isolated, a little alone, and he's never really had much affection from his mother. No. And um, what I uh, like about Bernard, uh, I think, is that, um, you know, he he struggles to fit a lot of those unreachable um, kind of codes about what it means to be a man, particularly in our culture. And, you know, he doesn't play footy. He's... Um, he doesn't go to the gym, you know. He, uh, but he's he's a good person, and um, he. But he often feels again um, misunderstood. Well, just look at the photographs. He's he's won awards for yes. His, he's an artist. Yeah, an artist for his photography. But mm. how did his mother treat those photographs? How did his father Marvin treat those photographs? Well, his mum Goldie. Uh, because of her own issues, has uh, almost sort of ridiculed Bernard or um, shut down any of his achievements because of her own inability to sort of celebrate herself and know herself. And I think there's a there's a full circle there that happens, and um, and we see that play out later on with the loss of Bernard's father, Marvin, and the new tension between he him and his mother. But yeah. there's, I mean. His father, Marvin, puts the photograph on display in, in the house. Yeah. Mum takes it down after a while and, oh, well, you know, it's mm. it's sort of not something to be lauded or no. praised. There's no celebration um, 
about anything um, that is dear to Bernard. And I think that is connected to uh, Goldie living a childhood without celebration, without love, without any warmth. Well, we'll, we'll come to Goldie okay. in a minute, but we've also got um, the pendant that Bernard has. Yes. Would yeah. you care to explain what that is? Uh, well, I I had known from through a friend of a friend uh, that that uh, there is a thing called cremation bling, and uh, for some people when they lose uh, someone dear, uh, they can have special jewellery made uh, with some of the ashes to sit inside, which I thought was kind of a lovely and very um, unusual way of remembering somebody. And this is. Uh, Sylvia, who was Bernard's wife. Yes. Now, how much can we say here about then the irony of this bit of bling? Is that would that be giving too much away or not? In terms of how he came into possession of it, and um, yes, what occurred and why he's wearing it. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> there, there is a bit of an accident um, in terms of um, how it arrives on his doorstep. <laughs> I think that's what you're referring to, yeah, David. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and also then, I mean, the relationship. Uh, yes. In, so I don't want to give anything away. But I, I'd love the reader to discover these things for themselves in, in many ways in, in that regard. So there's a curiosity there. It looks as if he's got this sort of emotional connection with his past, a yes. relationship, etc. Yes. But there's more to it uh, in, in that regard. Yes. So that, yes. that is interesting. Of course, we have started to raise Goldie. Um, and she's in her 70s, having lost her husband, mm-hmm. Marvin. Um, she's met France. She da- has. Dancing. Poor France. <laughs> but, I mean, Goldie's, Goldie's got an organic diet. What's going on here? Uh, <laughs> Goldie had uh, a lot of struggles as a child with, um, you know, a family um, very impoverished and often not having a lot to eat. So there's a lot of hangover about food and nourishment. And um, so she, you know, later in life, she kind of enjoys the fact that she can be very selective about her food, uh, you know, and cash up her husband's credit card with all the organic goodies. But also then this leads her to a particular form of conduct when it comes to... um what one should put in one's mouth or not. Yes. Uh, and this also applies to Marvin again. How much can we give away here, please? Yes, well, I mean, it's very unfortunate the circumstances with Mar- Marvin um, has a heart condition, requires medication, and uh, unfortunately Goldie, uh, with the very best of intention, uh, replaces Marvin's heart tablets with, with fish oil. And other sort of natural supplements. Because the natural remedies are the best. Well, apparently to Goldie in her research. And, um, and so, you know, when, when Marvin um, passes away, there's a terrible kind of question mark about um, what's actually happened. But this, this notion then of guilt hanging over Goldie in terms of, <laughs> hang on a minute, how much did I contribute to Marvin's death? Yes, and... 
Yeah, she um, she's always justifying everything that she does, you know, that it's almost like for, for the best, for the, for the benefit of others. You know? But isn't that what we do? We, we take on board a yeah. philosophy or an approach and therefore that becomes a mantra, a practice yes, that definitely. we cannot violate. I think I think it's something that we all do. You know, we can find our own justification or validation for anything in our lives and we stick to it. To the detriment of others. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. We now have Min yes. as well. Now, Min is actually um, came over from Vietnam in 1976. Yes. Some of the first boat people. Yes. Now, this chapter, when we first get introduced to Min, is almost like a short story in its mm. own, and of its own right. You've got her heritage. I mean, her grandfather, Dan, the name means prestigious. So there's this whole world of meaning and culture mm. that um, is coming across in the boat with them mm. and the potential here. A lovely little irony then with one of the classroom activities men gets asked to do, which is to look into the Indigenous Dreamtime culture. Mm. And so you've got this connection of cultures in terms of the heritage behind it all. Yes, and I think that her interest in her attraction to understanding more about Dreamtime is perhaps a, a bit of a grief and a loss of her own sense of culture from um, from this new life. Well, there's, there's a cultural displacement yes. that occurs because uh, Min's father has died yes. on that journey over, which means um, Lynn, uh, the mother... Mm ends up marrying an Australian farmer, yes. Eric, who just so happens to be a fundamentalist Christian. Now, the irony here is that um, Lynn, in some ways, foregoes her Buddhist heritage, but at the same time, it is her Buddhist heritage that compels her to obey her husband. And so there's this, uh, is it a tension? Is it? It's a strange sort of irony there. It is a tension. And, um, you know, even when Min uh, sort of challenges her, her mum and says, look, mum, you're a Buddhist. Like, what's going on? Uh, I think also for her mother and for her family, uh, being part of a community and um, being accepted into a community uh, was very important to them as well. Yeah. And I wanted to highlight the generosity and the warmth awkward as it is sometimes um of that country uh community uh, being someone who grew up in the country myself i think it's a precious thing yeah because it unites the community it does but when you've got such um well not strict um sort of controls or, or expectations. Mm. I mean, th there's a way of doing things that is, is an accepted practice. Mm. That can actually be an imposition on others that are coming in if they're coming from a different cultural background. Yes, that's right. And that's why I wanted to show there was a, a small scene where the family uh, who kind of host Min's family uh, and give them a, ha a little unit at the back of their farmhouse um, Mrs. Davison, you know, one day she pops her head in um, to to bring some cake, and she um, and she notices a shrine inside 
uh, for Min's father and she she doesn't know what to do. She gives an awkward bow. Now some people might think that's really not, not appropriate or but I wanted to I wanted to t- just show that her intention was about kindness. And that's one of the themes I think in the story that I hope comes yeah. across even when it's a little clumsy yeah, and a little awkward. Aren't we all? A little clumsy, yeah, and a, especially when encountering people of other cultures, other practices, right. um, other identities, so to speak. Well, how do you That's behave right. and conduct yourself? It, it's yeah. it's all good. I've even noticed that um, in terms of generational change, looking back, uh, thinking, hang on, you know, I visited my parents once. And uh, on a Sunday, where's the lamb roast? You know, it's sort of that was a cultural imperative. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And um, I lived for quite a number of years in the Box Hill area and got to know quite a few um, families um, with Vietnamese backgrounds, um, particularly in my street. And um, there was often that tension of holding on to what is dear and feeling entitled to that but also wanting to connect broadly to the community. And, of course, Min uh, meets up with Bernard. Mm. But how do they (laughs) touch base? (laughs) So, you know, they they bump into each other on a dating app and, uh, you know, I have um, experienced online dating myself and it's – some people say, oh, you know, it's like getting ready for an interview where you don't even know if you want the job. And um, they, uh, the thing that stands out for men about Bernard is that he's really funny and he's not trying to impress her with gym photos or, um, you know, some, a travel shot or, you know, he's just, he's just genuinely really funny. But there's yeah. an expectation, again, you know, the apps have their own expectation about how one should present oneself. Oh, and never look desperate on a, on a dating app. <laughs> Or anywhere, really, but, but particularly in that space. But yeah. never look real, as in, you exactly. know, my, my, you know, my profile picture is 20 years younger yeah, that's than right. what it is. I mean, I think there was one dating profile I read once um, and it said, look, I'm really overweight and I'm ugly, but I'll make you laugh. <laughs> and um, I thought there was just something really wonderful about that. You know? <laughs> but again, the, the other challenge is that they've led lives. They're all experienced People. Min's had a past relationship. In fact, she uh, became pregnant, uh, etc. Um, so they've all experienced life. Mm. How then does this uh, impact on establishing new connections, given mm. you're carrying that weight of past relationships with you and what mm. was done to you? Um, that's a really good question, David, because um, I've had a lot of conversations with, with men and women, people from the queer community, people um, in midlife and later, um, you know, dating or starting their lives again. And in Australia, we've got over four and a half million single people over the age of 40. And, um, and so for a lot of people, there's a sense of um, starting again. Um, they feel very exposed there's financial challenges sometimes after a really uh, nasty divorce. There are um, there are also challenges in terms of um, how we see ourselves and our appearance. Te- technological challenges for a lot of people, you know. Um, oh, I didn't mean to put a photo that's twenty years old on my 
<laughs> on my profile. But here's an interesting phrase of you, you've used, starting again, mm-hmm. which is a bit of a misnomer in mm-hmm. some ways because it's ongoing. Absolutely. It's part of that building the repertoire. That's the irony. You know, we, we still want to be ourselves and yet we feel as though we're being kind of scrutinised according to what Tinder says or what Bunville says is attractive or meaningful or worthy. You've also got Marvin. Yeah. He's dead, but he's yeah. actually a very influential character in this novel. He is. I, I you know, I, I think he would have a bit of a chuckle if he was around to sort of see what was happening uh, within with what's been left behind. Um, but he's a, he was a moderating influence between yes. Goldie and Bernard as well, and and now yeah. <laughs> there's no old bud um, in terms of their interaction. But at, at one point, uh, Goldie's on a retreat. Yes. And and who is your chakra or or whatever you know the the spirit that you identify with? And all of a sudden, it's Marvin. It's mm. it's still Marvin, as yes. in that experience from the past, still mm. uh, touches her mm. uh, in her life, etc. Yes, she does miss him, and I think I think Marvin's death uh, creates um, a very confronting opportunity. I'll call it for Goldie to really understand herself. And that, that's pretty scary for somebody who's had who's built up quite uh, a lot of walls over the years. Yeah. At this point, I think we'll just break for a minute to go to a bit of a promotion and we're coming right back with Never Look Desperate. Left after breakfast. 38 years of information, insights, analysis and opinion. Just plain old common sense, really. 8.30am on Fridays. Ah, well, there we go. We don't normally get the opportunity to play too many messages. We're so busy with so many authors. I'm here with Rachel Matthews, her novel Never Look Desperate. Now, another interesting thing about men, Goldie and Bernard, the dimension you provide to their lives because they actually look back in time to the experiences that influenced them. Mm. And for Goldie, that's quite a long time ago. Yes. How important is that sort of uh, perspective and what impact does that have, Goldie's past, Mm. have on Bernard, therefore have on his recollections, therefore have on his relationships in the future? Mm. I think um, in my work, I work in... um, creative writing classrooms um, in a university and also in student welfare. And I have um, done a lot of reading and um, uh, I understand a bit now about trauma and the impact on the brain and that it's a lifelong um, uh, impact that, you know, in terms of um, for a lot of us we take those very early years with us and somehow we... We might find ways to kind of mask or contain um, how they make us feel about the world and about others. And I don't think Goldie has ever really looked at that or really understood it, let alone dealt with it. And it accounts for her organic predilection in some ways. It does. Finding an escape, finding something you can believe in Mm. that carries you through. Yes, but she, you know, she she's quite self righteous. She judges people. Uh, you know, people find sometimes Goldie 
a bit um, confronting initially and then they say and then I get to know her and I understand um, that there's a reason why they behave like they do. But, I mean, even just looking at my parents, my my father bread and dripping sandwiches and the Depression era Mm. and there was no sort of time Mm. uh, with the the kids in the household and the uh, poverty Mm. and, and things like that. And it's impacted his life. But let's move on here a little because there are so many absurd things happening (laughs) in this novel and yet they're not absurd. I mean, very early on, a traveller from St Petersburg detained at Tullamarine Airport for possession of snake eggs had escaped with a woman from Baronia. They were both positive with the virus and had fallen in love on a plane from Sydney. But it's actually believable. How true is that? <laughs> I'll just qualify. It's not actually a true story, but uh, I think uh, I wanted to encapsulate the absurdity of the those couple of years of lockdown and our, our, our new, what did they call it, the new normal, which I thought was a strange term. And that um, I guess I think a lot of us are still kind of recovering from that in a sense that, you know, what is normal? In terms of how we relate, especially. Well, there's a couple of things to explore here. First and foremost, the the impact of COVID, the isolation, that loss of contact yeah. and intimacy. There's there's that dimension. Yeah. But regardless of that, in some ways, people doing stupid things, and there were people that got out of quarantine to go off and, and meet up with their lover or, or whatever. Mm. But even without COVID restrictions, we are quite capable of being absolutely stupid in what we do and how we behave. I think so, and, and I think that's okay. And uh, I, I hope that my book uh, sort of gives permission for all of us to say sometimes we just behave strangely or behave badly, and, um, and that's all right. But that's you know? human. That's human. And, and we right. shouldn't necessarily uh, condemn. No. No. The impulsiveness or the ridiculousness. Yes, because it's exhausting to pretend otherwise. It is. <laughs> because we all do we stupid all do things. We all do stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, even even to the absurd point of... Now, you know, listeners are going to have to forgive me for what I'm about to say. <laughs> but, you know, there's there's Bernard um, thinking he, he could have an erection, but one of the things he's been told <laughs> to think about to prevent such an, an embarrassing occurrence is to think of Barnaby Joyce. <laughs> Barnaby Joyce being intimate. Uh, oh, please. Um, yes, but, I mean, how did that get in the novel? <laughs> but but uh, the absurdity of, of what people think about. Yes, I can't really explain that one, <laughs> David. I don't want to say too much about it. I've got myself in trouble because uh, it's in the book now. Well, it's but, in the um, book. But, no. but but well, the situation Bernard got himself into in yeah. the first place, the embarrassment of um, sort of um, revealing yourself uh, in the most in the politest kind of way, in in terms of uh, what you're thinking, um, and having perhaps to adjust yourself um, to say it politely. Well, what strategies can you put in place to moderate? Uh, those moments, uh, <laughs> so they, they do exist. They do exist. Yeah, but, thank God, really. <laughs> Otherwise, things would be pretty dull, wouldn't they? But these, this absurdity goes on mm. uh, throughout. Your use of music and television and, and all of those references, mm. uh, what have you done there? 
I guess I'm 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 really interested in media in a in a broader sense, and I think we need to call out the absurdity of um, some you know representations in media. You know, it's been playing on my mind a lot that the Kardashians, who are well known for their butt plant implants, um, get more hits and um, online than say you know David Attenborough. So to me, how have we reached that point? And I think we need to call it. That's absurd to me. They're both wildlife, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. Uh, You know, but in terms of what we value, what we cherish, uh, I think we need to call it out. And I think humour is a good way to do that. But also then the humour is mixed with a a sort of tragedy, comic comic tragedy, because there's so much, I shouldn't say unresolved, uh, unrequited might be a, a, a nicer word, normally associated with love. I mean, Goldie finds a piece of paper with a name on it, Lily and her phone number mm. in Marvin's possessions. Now, as the reader, we jump to conclusions, but you've put in something here that raises a spectre of something within the relationship that um, Goldie wasn't aware about. Yes, and I, I think um, the mysterious phone number that arrives in Marvin's things that she's going through is part of her, you know, clean, cleansing of um, and her new life. Um, I think it taps into her fear of not being loved because that's how she actually felt as a child. She never really felt that warmth of, of what she'd hoped a family should be. And so that that it's very threatening for her to imagine that maybe Marvin had, you know, been close to someone else. But it's not what we expect. And I think the reader is going to have to delve into the novel to find out what took place there, which is Mm. intriguing. We also have Min and the lack of resolution Mm. with her own uh, stepfather, who's dying, basically, or has had a a major medical episode, but even in close to death, her father's not, or her stepfather, is not accepting of her. And and no. can this ever be uh, resolved, so to speak? No, no. I mean, I think, I think she just, she lives with that. And I think for most of us, we live with yeah. those, um, those heavy kind of um, realities or the, that pain. And we just learn to manage it. And I, and I wanted that to be just sort of real and not trying to smooth it over with a kind of a Hollywood, everything's well, fine. Yeah, and they all lived happily ever after because yeah. we don't. People no. in real life don't. These things go on. And it's because of Eric's uh, fundamentalism. Mm. Curiously, um, he accepts uh, Min's brother mm. who's come out as gay. Mm. And, and because it's just the way he sees it in, in terms of an illness or... Uh, possession rather than anything yes. he's got control over. Yes, he thinks that, you know, Min's brother has been possessed by the devil um, in terms of, you know, his sexuality. And um, and yet, as you say, it's, that is still kind of more acceptable in some ways for mm. him. Last but not least, and we've only got about a minute left, Bernard and Min. Yes. Do they get together? Now, let's not answer <laughs> that question because really what we've got here is more about the travails of courtship. There's all of these yes, elements. Yes, the clumsy dance. 
intervening and interrupting and misinterpretations. Will they get together? And so, in many ways, the reader is going to have to look into this for themselves to find out if, after all of this, after all of the background, after <laughs> trawling through the past yeah. and people's uh, behaviours, whether Min and Bernard will, in fact, actually get together and make it in the end. Mm. So... Uh, Reader, listener, look out for Never Look Desperate, something we can all identify with. It's a novel by Rachel Matthews, and it's a Transit Lounge release. So, look, Rachel, thank you very much for talking with me today. Oh, thanks, David. I've really enjoyed it.